Welcome to the Every Breath Counts podcast. I'm Ryan Sheckle, health enthusiast, amateur ultra runner, and award-winning business consultant. And each week I interview experts and leaders about their stories and strategies on how to optimize your mind, your body, your career, and your life so that you can make every breath count. Thank you for investing your time in the show and yourself. Now let's get started. There's an old saying that losers focus on winners and winners focus on winning. And Bruce Lee said, the doubters said man cannot fly. The doers said, but maybe we'll try. And finally soared in the morning glow while non-believers watched from below. I am so excited to announce that former guest Lucas Foster has qualified for the Beijing Olympics. He's going to be representing Team USA on the halfpipe alongside Olympic legend Sean White. So this week's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to share a 15-minute interview with Lucas's longtime mentor and former pro snowboarder Jason Cannon. Jason shares his insane story about almost dying after snowboarding off of a cliff in Wyoming and how he uses that experience as well as his experience practicing Wing Chun Kung Fu to strengthen the mindset of snowboarders that he's currently working with, specifically Lucas Foster. And after sharing that interview with Jason, I'm actually going to reshare the full interview with Lucas Foster from July of 2021. And Lucas talks about his career, his preparation, and his training leading up to the Olympics. He also talks about how he calms his mind on the day of and in the starting block of a big competition. I'm so excited for Lucas, and I know you're going to be able to pull a lot from this episode. So if you have any ounce of competition in you, and you should, this episode's for you. And if this is your first time here, welcome and thank you for tuning in. Be sure to click the subscribe button to stay up to date with all the latest episodes. If you found this episode inspiring, educational, or entertaining, I would be grateful if you gave us a rating and review wherever you listen. And tag me on Instagram at Every Breath Counts Podcast with any feedback. Stay tuned for Lucas Foster. But without further ado, Jason Cannon. Jason Cannon. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. I'm really looking forward to this. Stoked to be here, man. So you were introduced to me by Lucas Foster, who is currently a pro snowboarder, a phenom in the half pipe, looking to go to the Olympics. And you're his personal trainer, or at least his Mr. Miyagi of sorts. And you've been working with him for a long time. And you were a professional snowboarder as well. What's your history and how did you come to coach others? I started competing shortly after I started snowboarding in 1984, in 1986. It was the birth of snowboarding. It was new, exciting. We were naming the tricks and then we'd open up the magazine and somebody else would have a different name for it. And we're like, that's not what it's called, you know? So it really was the inception of the sport. And then we started getting exposed to the top level riders, the Sean Palmers and Craig Kelly's and Damian Sanders and all these heavy hitters back in the day. And I quickly wanted to emulate those guys and started pursuing higher level competition. After four years as an amateur, I turned pro. I competed for the United States at the World Championships in 1992. 
I was not an athlete growing up. I had done martial arts as a kid, but I didn't have a foundation as an athlete. So then along came this thing yeah. called snowboarding. And I was like, holy crap, like I got to learn how to, you know, have a mental game on top of my physical game. I was shooting from the hip the whole time and I got injured a bunch, but I did compete in the World Cup level for 10 years and lots of X Games appearances. And I went through an initial career that was slalom, giant slalom and half pipe because that's all there was in the 90s. And then as slope style came out, I wasn't, I didn't really gravitate towards that because it just seemed kind of stupid at the time. Um, the jumps weren't very good and rails were really sketchy and dangerous and just wasn't my thing. But border cross came out about the same time that big mountain snowboarding took off, like extreme snowboarding, they called it. So I used my experience as a World Cup rider in those in the early days, being a pipe rider and all that, to then uh, jump on the border cross train and the big mountain train at the same time. And that was a wild ride, man. I, you know, got to travel the so, world a bunch more. And yep. Yeah. So what what is border cross and and what is big mountain? Because like. I'm familiar with slalom and I think anyone that kind of watches like the Olympics or uh, maybe I, I'm not like watching the X games every time it's out, but you see people go down the half pipe, you see people slalom. So what are those other events? Yeah. Border cross is it's an offshoot of motocross or BMX racing where you send a bunch of guys down the track at the same time. So it's got berms and oh, okay. rollers and doubles and triple jumps and crazy ass Wu Tang features and, a lot of stuff that's really challenging to do at speed. And then you got mm. four or six guys on the track with you at the same time gunning. It's an Olympic sport. I just had a great run at that whole border cross thing and, and the big mountain thing. And then I ended up shattering my femur in 1999 up in Jackson, Wyoming. I was on my way to a race in California and I stopped off cause it was really, it was dumping up in Wyoming. So I went and rode powder for a few days and ended yep. up going on a photo shoot with uh, a photographer who shot for Teton Gravity Research. I was riding for North Face at the time, um, the clothing company. And so he's like, hey, let's go up and get some shots. And so we get up there and he points out the line. He's like, right there, man, that's you know, a super sick line. And I'm looking at it. It's like a 50-foot cliff onto a bench with a 300-foot cliff underneath that. And if so, if you don't land perfect and make a hard left, then you go off the 300 foot cliff and die essentially. So I jumped off it. I landed in the back seat, exploded my hip, just pushed through my front leg and exploded my hip, my whole femur into 10 pieces. And it just so happened to be negative 10 degrees that day. So as I'm laying there, waiting for the helicopter to come rescue me my knee was up close to my hip because my whole leg just you know contracted around the fracture and uh i had to fight for my life i had to use all my meditative skill all of my breathing skill everything i had learned from martial arts from kung fu training specifically i was doing gripping exercises which is a qigong movement qi is energy gong is refinement so i was gripping and breathing for five hours in negative 10 degrees in the shade, in the snow with a shattered femur. And when the rescuers got to me, they said, you know, they radioed back and they said, we have a coherent 29 year old. 
because they didn't <laughs> expect to see a coherent person or somebody that could answer their questions and talk to them. And, you know, I was definitely wow. hanging on. I, I thought I was losing all 10 toes to frostbite and, but my toes survived and surgery saved my leg. And, and I learned one hell of a lot about humility and grace and love and acceptance. And it changed the whole direction of my entire life. That's an amazing story. So I want to know, having not grown up an athlete and then becoming a professional athlete, it's a rare story in a lot of ways. And snowboarding, skiing, like I, I ski in the winter, it's athletic. Like there is a lot of athleticism you need to have. There's a lot of strength coordination. So your background is really martial arts. What did you learn from martial arts? and Kung Fu that translated into professional snowboarding? Yeah, I went through so many levels of expanding awareness. And that's what any art, you know, practice, any daily practice, a daily habit, something that you do uh, regularly increases awareness. You know, it, it builds your ability to be present and stay focused on a singular goal. So we call that in martial mm. arts and Kung Fu, specifically Wing Chun Kung Fu, which is what Bruce Lee did. It's called center line focus. So center line focus is not just a visual thing. It's not just a mental thing. It's your entire body creating, you create congruency through the training to where your physicality and your energy and your mental emotional dispositions all line up. And that's actually what creates the one-inch punch that Bruce Lee was so famous for, being able to concentrate so much power. He was about 118 pounds when he came to the United States, maybe 120-something pounds when he was hitting those guys in Long Beach. You know, there's videos of it on YouTube, you know, and he's knocking a 250-pound guy back 10 feet, you know, through the air into a chair with his little knuckle you know, the, of his fist, yeah. you know, like, you know, a vertical punch where everything is aligned. What is it specifically about this centerline focus that translates to sport, right? Because like you could see this centerline focus in this awareness and the punch going from one particular area, right? Like it's this focus of this fist and these knuckles to an individual. But how sure. does that translate to, let's even say snowboarding? That center line focus, it's, it's energetic, it's physical, and it's mental emotional. So Paul Cech teaches that it is a hierarchy. It's like a totem pole. So okay. if you think of, or a pyramid, think of physical at the bottom of the pyramid, right? Mm. And then you've got mm. mental is the next level up. And then above the mental is your emotional. And so it gets a little less tangible as you move up. And then at the top of the pyramid or the totem pole, you've got spirituality. So that's your, that's your pathway of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And when I started martial arts, I didn't know that I was going on a spiritual journey, you know, or that I was going to refine my mental, emotional well-being by, by training a physical martial art. But that's what happens. So the connection, what you're asking about how does centerline carry over to sport, it's everything because your physical foundation of your training, what you do when you're consistent, that's another piece of Kung Fu. It's, it's having sincerity. You're not coming into it with ego or 
You're not coming in it, into it to inflict harm. You're, you're just neutral. You're just holding your center space and building yourself so you can expand awareness and expand your chi, your energy, and get stronger. And then what happens, whether you strive towards it or not, is your mind begins to follow your body, meaning mm. that your dispositions begin to shift. So that's anybody who, you could take somebody off the couch who's overweight and they start going to the gym or they start, you know, they, maybe they have a friend that they really look up to or admire, like a mentor, and they start going to the gym. Well, pretty soon that physical activity is really going to start to solidify new paradigms of thought. So the mental piece is directly tied to the physical piece. Lucas, for example, when he came to me, he had a lot of pain. He had a lot of injuries. He was banged up. So he didn't have a lot of mental confidence. He didn't believe in himself completely, nor did he have the emotional inputs. Emotional indicators are like, there's a whole, there's an entire emotional scale. And you can look at that emotional scale with, you know, joy and love and all that being at the top and with fear and anger at the bottom Take every emotional word and it'll fit somewhere in between those two. Love and joy at the top, fear and anger at the bottom. Where do you fall in the emotional scale? And so if your thoughts are positive, your body's fit, and then your emotions are on the upper end of the scale, now you have an athlete. Now you have somebody who can actually focus their energy, their attention, and their mindset, and their their physical capabilities all towards one singular goal for Lucas. It's putting together in a half pipe run where he's throwing these massive double corks and huge complex tricks. He's got to be present each and every millisecond throughout his run. He can't there. You can't disconnect from the flow. So the flow state is also what comes out. Once you have mental, emotional fitness on top of physical fitness, then we enter into this space where you can just let go and flow and you're not restricted by self-doubt. If you want to be a better athlete, once you have a base level of skill, it's 98 or some people would say 100, 110% mental at that point. And that's certainly the case with Lucas. He has the body for it. He's got the the explosiveness and the speed built into his legs. He's got the strength to act as a base for all that explosiveness. And so now where's his head at? You know, where's his mind? Where's his emotions? If he can sit there at the top of the pipe, which he does, he'll sit there and he'll, he'll run through affirmations and he'll guide his thinking mind through just, creating phrases that are easy to repeat that speak to what who he is and what he's doing why he's there what he's creating for himself and and really bringing the love and the joy into that process so he's not standing up there shaking in his boots and scared because he's dropping in next to sean white he's standing there in full gratitude and full love and acceptance of the opportunity and the pure joy yeah. and the, the wonderment of being able to fly like a bird.
That was Jason Cannon, longtime mentor of Lucas Foster. And I am so excited to watch Lucas in the Olympics. And I know that you are probably excited as well. So you can check out the Olympics from February 4th to the 20th on NBC. And definitely go give Lucas a follow on his Instagram at Lucas Foster. It's the best Instagram handle on the internet. And it's just him and his buddies with GoPros filming each other doing insane tricks on the half putt. And now, in case you missed episode 29, here is U.S. Olympian Lucas Foster. Lucas Foster, what is up? Thank you so much for taking some time to join the show, man. Yeah, Ryan, thanks again for having me. I'm super excited. Glad to be yeah, here. Dude, Lucas, it's been an awesome year for you. You were nominated to the U.S. Snowboard Pro Team for the upcoming Olympic season. When did you first realize that professional snowboarding was a possibility for you? Thanks, man. Yeah, I'd say there was never one specific moment, but it was accumulative over time. As I was getting older from like age 13 and up, like every season would just get better and better. And I was just on a steady, you know, increase in progression. I was always very hopeful that someday I would be at the point where I can ride with these riders. But I'd say in the last two years, just getting invited to these bigger contests and getting to hang with a lot of these big pros. That's when I was like, okay, like this is actually going to happen for a while. It was just like, I hope this happens. It'd be cool if this happens. I don't really know how it's going to happen growing up in an unconventional, uh, upbringing as a pro athlete. I never had like a clear path of, Oh, this guy did this or this guy did the same thing that I'm doing. So I'm going to make it. I was like, man, I'm in this anomaly position. I hope I can make it. I did have the right resources, like the essentials to better myself every day. So that's the stuff that kept me going. When did you start snowboarding and when did you really have to make a decision about how that was going to fit into your schooling? I never even really had a moment where I was like, how do I fit this in? It was like, I would go to school and I went to regular school till I was in 10th grade. But it was so normal for us to be skiers and snowboarders and Telluride. It got weird when... I was older and I was like, I want to be a professional snowboarder because they were never encouraging that necessarily. They didn't have a program of you want to be an elite athlete. Here you go. So I'd say when I was like ninth or 10th grade, that's when I was like, all right, I got to make some tough decisions where I need to sacrifice this normal teenage lifestyle if I want to start really killing it on my snowboard. But for me, I was all in. It was like, I either want to do this a hundred percent or not at all. How hard was it to make that decision to be like, I'm all in? Honestly, it wasn't that hard at all. And I'm really lucky to say that because I know a lot of people that have a lot of struggles with having FOMO. But for me, it was like, I was so blessed to find snowboarding and skateboarding and all these things that I really was passionate about at a young age. And there was no question. It was like, this is for me. I I had this self-awareness of, okay, this stuff over here does not bring me much joy but this stuff over here does. So the decision was easy and I, it was only hard when I would be on my own path doing my thing. And I'd have these people that I thought were friends hating on what I was doing. And that still happens all the time. There's people that don't see eye to eye with me on certain things or certain choices that I've made in my life. Like when I started doing online school, when I was like 16, 
tons of parents and my friends, they thought it was like the worst decision I could make. And uh, so there were times where it was tough where I was like, dang, like this sucks. I'm losing friends. And all these people are like throwing shade at me. And uh, yeah, that was tough. I was like, at the end of the day, life isn't about making people understand you. I think life is all about you understanding yourself. That's all that matters. Yeah. So tell me more about that because 16 is, man, what a, what a like a formative age to be catching a bunch of shade from like your friends and, and their parents. And yeah. it, it is a bold decision to, you didn't drop out. You actually were like ahead of the curve in this virtual schooling, which is hilarious to say right now that every high schooler did virtual school in the year 2020. And like oh, you were boy. doing this years ago and, and people were saying, you know, what is Lucas doing? What the heck? He's, he practically quote dropped out of school. But what was that like? And how did you overcome these other people's opinions about the choices you were making? Yeah, man, you nailed it on the head. It was that's exactly what people were saying was like, oh, you dropped out or, oh, you got a GED. Well, that's good enough. And I'm like, no, I finished school. I got a diploma sitting at home. But for me, like I was so dedicated to my career, achieving this goal of becoming what I am now, that what these people were saying had never phased me. It was more just like this annoying thing that I had to block out and just kind of accept and I also had to get to a point where I realized that not everyone is going to agree with you and what they're not going to like the choices you're making, whether it's because they don't understand it or because they're insecure themselves. This is just life. It forced me to really grow up and learn how to have empathy for people. So it was, I had to overcome it, but I also learned a lot just having that experience. And it kind of made me just have more maturity because I was like, hey, like, you don't got to agree with what I'm doing, but this is me. And now a lot of yeah. these people that were talking crap, like they're all excited for me. So it's ironic, <laughs> but I always knew that this type of thing would happen. And you got to look at all the greatest athletes in the world out there. There were people that doubted them and people that disrespected their choices. That's just life. And yeah. So let's talk to me about this confidence though, because it's one thing to say, Hey, I'm good at snowboarding. But it's another to say, I am going to take my schooling virtual. I'm going to pursue a career as a pro because I don't care how good you are at it. There is a lot of dedication and a lot of training that goes into taking you from where you are to where you need to be to compete at a professional level. So where did this confidence come from? And, and how did you kind of like really lean into this training to get to where you are? Yeah, I'd say like before the confidence built, it was, I, I knew I was so passionate about snowboarding that it was, it didn't, it still to this day, it doesn't even feel like training. Like I try to steer away from that word when it comes to snowboarding, just really? because when we're on snow, me and all my friends, we all are having a blast. I'm like, like I will train in the gym hundred percent. That's training. But that's like training, like all the stuff I do off my snowboard, it's more you're training for life mm. and your snowboarding just indirectly benefits from that. But I was just so passionate about snowboarding and so like sure that this was part of my journey because snowboarding, it isn't everything to me. There's more to my life than just being a snowboarder. But I knew that this was something that was kind of guiding me to who I'm meant to be in my life. And so this like laser focus was more just me like, being dedicated to this thing that I loved and also me being just dedicated to my true calling 
and being set on like, all right, I'm going to become what I'm meant to become. When I think of training for a pro athlete, I don't understand really what goes into every little aspect. Are you on the slopes for eight to 10 hours a day or is there, you can only do so much? You definitely can only do so much. And I'm starting to really understand that as I get older, four years ago. Yeah, I could ride all day, every day and not get tired and just drop the ball on my body and my diet and be okay. But in the last couple of years, definitely like starting to feel my body getting older. Luckily, I'd like to say I take good care of my body and it's feeling great right now. So as I get older, I got to really stay on top of that. But yeah, like in the heart of winter, we're riding like four to five days a week. And it's kind of like freestyling it where us as riders, we got to really learn how to listen to our bodies and know when to take a step back and chill for the day. A good way of looking at it is this is from Paul Check, who's one of like my mentors throughout uh, my career. He calls it working in and working out. So working out is you're going to the gym, lifting heavy weights, you're spending energy, snowboarding is working out. But then there's times where you got to work in, which is when you're, you know, gaining more energy than it took to or gaining more energy than you spent doing an exercise. Mm. An example is doing some yoga. You're not spending energy. You're gaining more energy than you're spending doing that practice. So I'd say that's the biggest thing is you snowboard, you snowboard hard, but when to take a step back and chill. And then in the summer, you're just prepping your body for those days. And really it goes so deep. Like we could go on and on just about (laughs) what kind of training we're doing, but it's for me personally, it's a lot of, maintenance work on my body for me my muscles are really tight so i gotta get into the deep tissue stuff constantly yeah. doing that but i'm also in the gym a lot too working and strengthening movement patterns that we use on our snowboards and then also your diet and your lifestyle is everything very health conscious that's like what i'm known most for amongst my friends is i'm that kid on the trip that has all the supplements all the organic food in the fridge super oh i don't eat this i don't need that that's I honestly yeah. give all my success to those things right there. You got to feed the machine. So working in versus working, I love the sound of that. Working in versus working out being the output that you're doing, working in being what you're putting into more like that recovery. So what is that balance? And is it seasonal? Are you? Is there a season where you're just working out more and then a season where you're working in? And is that balance kind of shift like in the midst of all your competitions? Or how do you balance that? I'd like to say it goes in seasons because that'd be really nice. Summer is when you're like working in more, but I'd say, I'd say you're doing a fair amount of working out and working in a week for me, but it's more like split into days. So like Mondays I'll go into the gym and do a heavy lift day, but then I wake up Tuesday morning and I'm super sore. Then you're like, okay, today I'm doing some Qigong. I'm doing some deep tissue work. I'm doing some base corrective core exercises, um, adjusting my diet accordingly to what my body is asking for. And it's really just, that's the biggest thing is you learn how to listen to your body. So many people are so, they've just lost touch with how to like recognize signals from your body and your mind. So it's some days that'll happen on snow too, where I'll be at a training camp or something with the U S team and I'll have one hard day snowboarding and be smoked. And I'm like, I need two days off 
and I need to completely chill and like do some meditation, do some breath work, do some, there's a whole life outside of snowboarding too, that you got to take care of. So it's all about listening yeah. to your body. But I'd say November is a big working in time for me where I'm like going deep kind of into my mind. Cause I'm, I guess uh, you could say I'm like a spiritual person that philosophy, all that stuff really interests me. So that's when I'm like getting my mind prepped for a big winter. And then that's I'd say in April, I also do that too, where I'm like, spend a lot of time just kind of going deep into my brain and getting clear on what's next. Yeah. So let's get into the mind. One of the things that I'm always curious about, especially with pro athletes is like, what's going through your mind the day of a competition? What's going through your mind? Like when you're in the starting block about to head down the half pipe? Oh man, it's crazy. Like it's always changing, but in the last, like in the last season, it's like a perfect mix of yin and yang where you got like these amazing, like gratitude, just like full blissful. Like, I'm so thankful that I'm here. I'm so thankful that I'm getting the opportunity to snowboard and live out my dream. And then you also got the other side of, holy crap, this is scary. What if I blow it? What if I fall? What if I get hurt? What happens if I don't get the score that I want from the judges? It's like the perfect blend of like craziness and calmness. But uh, that's where you got to learn how to like really shift your attention to just nothing. And that's when you get to enter the flow state, which is hard to access. But like, there are a few times this season where I've been at the top and I've found my rhythm of blocking these thoughts out. And something I just tell myself and something like just unconsciously I'm telling myself everything's going to be okay. Like everything, no matter what happens, there's no mistakes. You might land this best run of your life and win the contest, or you might fall and you're going to get the perfect platter of lessons to take away from this day. There's no losing. Like there's no mistake at all. You get the choice to really make every single day a win. So you go crazy for a minute and then you chill out. So how do you get yourself to chill out? Is it like an inner dialogue? Is there like a flip? Is there a trick that you have to go from like this chaos in your mind to steady and zone out to try to get into the flow state? Yeah, honestly, mantras is what I've been doing. I'll write in my journal a lot. I have mantras that I write in my journal affirmations and stuff the affirmations i like a lot i'll just go into just a rampage of like positive affirmations i'll be up there just repeating to myself in my mind i'm cool calm and collected i'm cool calm and collected over and over hundreds of times up until i'm in the start gate when i'm putting my board on getting ready and i'm starting to go crazy and especially this last season because there's so much at stake like with the first olympic qualifier and like me needing to make the pro team i'm like standing at the top dude I'm either going to, everything's going to come together or, or I'm going to say bye. Then I just go into just over and over. I'm cool, calm and collected. My body is built to win. My mind is built to win. Stuff like that has been really helpful for me at least. And some people it may not help, but for me, yeah, it's just, that, you get to, it's just like meditation. You get to go into a mantra, something that keeps you focused on. Was that something you practice? Is that you said meditation? Cause I know that there's like, mantras and meditation is that something that you're practicing when you're not on the hill so that you're prepared when you get to the starting block 
Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I've been doing some meditation stuff for a couple of years. It's called, I guess the form is, uh, cashmere meditation and it's rooted in Sita yoga. And it's, I, I don't think it's really based in a certain religion exactly, but yeah, it's pretty much very simple meditations, but yeah, like certain mantras, certain, I guess, breath work routines and stuff like that. The meditation has really helped me just learn how to sit still while in the face of chaos. And same with like, honestly, taking ice baths in the last year, it's such really? so off topic from, yeah, so off topic from meditation, but that's almost a form of meditation because you get to get in this cold water, this freezing cold water and find your breath. And if you can find a really fluid breath in this super crazy state where your body's freaking out, your mind is like, I hate this. And you find your breath. It's, you can really block out all distractions. So like those two things have definitely played a big role in me just learning how to like totally face my fear in the face and just, you know, crush it. Yeah. So ice baths, that's a crazy, that's a crazy concept because it's exactly what you're saying. Like I would imagine when you hit the start block and you're scared or nervous, or there's some sort of fear in your mind, I would mm -hmm. imagine that your heart rate is, is kind of starting to increase, which is exactly what happens like when you get in an ice bath. So to be able to calm yourself through that breath work to bring that heart rate down, it has to be like the perfect practice. Yeah, honestly, like some people think it's crazy and getting ready to go into my ice bath in the middle of February. And my friend is like, Oh, what are you doing? And I'm like, dude, our minds are our biggest enemies. In some cases we'll get in our own way. And it's because of our mind just going nuts and us not having control over our minds. So you learn how to tame your mind. You're just, no one's going to, no one's going to stop you. It's crazy. Is there a time where your mind got so much in your way that it, it just like, completely crushed your performance? Oh, all the time. It still happens sometimes. People ask me what's been the biggest obstacle in your career. And I'm like myself, like the times where I've had the worst crashes, the times where I've had my worst performances at contests, it wasn't for any reason other than I got in my own way. And, and yeah, if you lose touch with yourself and your own awareness of yourself, you're really like, you're like a leaf blowing in the wind is the analogy that I use because the circumstances, they can just push you in any direction and you have no idea and no control of where you're going to go. So like a good example is like that year I did my first X Games. X Games was like the worst contest that I've ever had. And that's a whole nother story. But at that time in my life, I was getting in my own way because I felt a lot of pressure around me when in reality, it was just me putting pressure on myself. I was skipping crucial steps in my athletic performance where I was like leaping into new tricks that I like was not ready for because I felt this pressure and I had like too much like ego in my decision-making. I had no sense of like connection with, with what we were talking about earlier. Everything's going to be okay. And yeah. Uh, what were the biggest three lessons you learned from the X games then? Yeah. My lessons were like the only thing that you really get in life is this present moment. And if you're thinking too far into the future, you're going to lose what you got in front of you. And that's what I was doing is I was thinking too far ahead into what's going to happen if I land this run, 
I'm tallying up points. If I get this result, then this happens. If I don't get this result, then this happens. Like stuff like that, thinking into the future, making up these fake scenarios that weren't real. It really taught me that, hey, all you get right now is this moment. The future does not exist yet. It may never come tomorrow. And the past does not exist anymore. So like you have the option to just make the most of this moment and do the work that's in front of you. That's the biggest thing in the last year that I've realized is you can complain and you can worry all you want about what might happen in the future. But if you don't do the work in front of you, if you're waking up in the morning, no matter how bad life is, you still got to get up and go to work. You still got to brush your teeth. You still got to do the dishes. You still got to put food into your body. So do the work that's in front of you and you're going to move on to the next thing. And you're guaranteed success in some way, shape or form. If you just do what is in front of you, if you just look at what's in front of you and you just get pissed at it, nothing gets done. You stay in that state of misery and you never know what comes after that. Yeah. I love the idea of just taking one success at a time. And it's it always starts in the morning. It's like when your alarm goes off and I preach this to everybody, when your alarm goes off, get up, just get up. You've won. You beat your alarm first thing in the morning and you've started your day with a win. The second you hit snooze, you have now started your day with a loss. And uh, yeah. it's so important to get up right away when that alarm goes off. What is your morning routine right now? Right now at this moment, pretty much wake up, drink 25% of my water intake for the day. I always... That's usually like 32 ounces of a hydro flask water bottle. Mm -hmm. Immediately drink some water, do my mineral intake for the day. I'm like super big with starting the morning with putting the right stuff in my body. So yeah, wake up, water, supplements. Usually I have a really good red superfood powder okay. and a bunch of minerals and uh, a bunch of Chinese herbs that I get from my friend, Josh Geeter. And then pretty much like out here snowboarding, it's you're pretty much waking up and getting ready to go on the mountain immediately. So okay. the routine, the, but I'm pretty good about staying on top of the food stuff. And then also getting a good warm up in from just my body waking up in the morning. Yeah. And so are you eating like a good breakfast or is that something? Cause I know like a lot of people have kind of messed with like the intermittent fasting stuff. And is there like a staple of food that you're having in the morning? Honestly, lately, yes, for the most part. Like in the winter, I was always doing pretty much just two eggs in the morning. And that was it because a lot of the supplements that I take give me like the perfect amount of nutrients for the day. So the amino acids that I take are from Keon yeah. and uh, that's Ben Greenfield's company. Yeah. And those aminos, those are game changing for me. And those are the building blocks pretty much for everything in having a functioning body for the day. So the aminos like hover me. I don't really do well on a heavy breakfast, but lately out here at Mount Hood, I've been just doing just my drink mix for the day. And then like just doing like liquid fasting where a lot of the food I'm having is just liquid. So like I'll just blend up veggies in the morning, have my aminos, but I've been like maybe once or twice a week, like having a heavier breakfast and stuff. But Lately, I've been, I'm always experimenting with food and what works and what doesn't work. And lately, I've been like chill on food in the morning. Yeah, it's crazy to think about because I, I would imagine you're burning a ton of calories snowboarding as well. You're spending that much time on the mountain, you're working out, you're doing like breath work and ice baths, those burn calories as well. So it's mm -hmm. kind of crazy to think about, hey, you can get by on a 
good mineral greens or red supplement and some eggs in the morning when a lot of people think they need to pound like a thousand calories of breakfast. Totally. Yeah. And what a lot of people don't get too is it's never really just about what you're eating more about have a good selection of organic food, then you can get specific on, okay, like I'm going to do this combination of protein to carbs, but everyone, they lose touch with the quality of their food. And that's everything, especially in this day and age, our food is, especially in America, it's all pretty much. I'd rather take an organic, an organic egg over, let's say a smoothie with a bunch of pesticide sprayed veggies and like blueberries that have just been like pumped with GMOs and stuff. Like you don't get anything out of that. That's just loading you up with a bunch of crap. Yeah. It's crazy. So you said that you had this like unbelievable year turning point in your career. Can you place your finger on exactly what was the difference in your performance? What you did this year that took you to the next level? Yeah, I'd say it all really started in, in Sauce Fe in October. I really was like on it with my routine. When I was in Sauce Fe, I was really good about the food I was eating, my mindfulness practice. I was meditating regularly. I was journaling all the time. Journaling is huge for me, like doing the affirmations and stuff. And really just having a clear routine and some discipline, that was everything to me because I would start my day with a very kind of nice routine. So I was in the mindset of like, all right, I'm staying disciplined today. I'm finding something that I want to do and I'm doing that all day. And I was just getting so much done out there. I was like riding the best I've ever ridden before. I was like, I was staying on my own because I had a friend out there that had a like owned like a condo and let me stay there for cheap. So I really had my own space to do my thing and not have to worry about dealing with any people or anything like just doing me. And I was very disciplined. People think that discipline is a bad thing for me. It's, it's everything to me because when you got discipline, you got freedom in life and you can really like make the choices you want to make. And you're liberated when you have control over your actions. And I think it was just natural progression. This is what was supposed to happen this season. As long as I stayed healthy, I knew that I was going to have a good season. It was like, this is the next step for me was getting these bigger results and landing these bigger tricks. So I was like, just stay on top of your health and keep your mind out of the way. And you're going to, everything's going to fall into place. So it's just a mix of staying disciplined and having a good routine and also just, yeah, prioritizing your health and your well-being so that you can get up in the morning and do your thing and enjoy it. Yeah. What separates like an average snowboarder, like an average pro snowboarder from like a gold medal snowboarder? I'd say that the gold medal snowboarder is always doing something different than the average snowboarder. I see this all the time today where so many kids out there, like at the top of the half pipe here at Mount Hood, there's like 40 kids probably like from ages five to 30. It's crazy. Sean White's up there. He's 34. And he, a lot of these people, you look at them and they're doing the same thing. Everyone's got the same coach doing the same kind of routine. And there's like those three or four riders that have a different routine than everybody and are doing something different in their process. And I remember my mom sent me this one time when I was younger. She's winners are different winning. Only one person can win at the end of the day. Winning is the most different thing that you could do. 
So in order to win, you got to be doing something different in your input to create that output, which is being on top of the podium. So I'd say that's the biggest thing is winners are different. They think different. They treat themselves differently and they don't give a shit about what anyone thinks. They're so clear on their path, the the consistent winners, because there's people that win one time and then they totally blow it at the next contest or the next couple yeah. contests. The consistent winners, they have a different routine than everybody. So what are you doing differently from other professional snowboarders? I go to bed pretty early. I eat really well, which 21 year olds don't understand that. Some of them at least, which is fine. I get it. I love eating junk food. I just know that my body doesn't like it at all. And I can't really do what I want to do on my snowboard. If I'm eating like crap, I'm pulling value from all sorts of different things outside of snowboarding and applying it to my snowboarding. I'm not like sitting here, Oh, I'm a snowboarder. So all I got to do is just go snowboard today. I'm like, I'm a snowboarder and I'm going to learn how to get value from like a veteran and their mindset and apply it into my snowboarding. I'm going to learn how to like use the focus of martial artist or Bruce Lee and how can I apply that to my snowboarding? I'm always searching for different things of how to like better myself. And it doesn't matter what it is or how stupid or silly it is. There's so many things that, you know, that I'm doing that people are like, why are you doing this? Why are you eating this? Why are you doing that? And I'm like, I'm able to pull the value from it and leave the stuff that isn't valuable behind. That's a really profound realization for someone that's 21 years old and like in the career you're in. What's the biggest lesson you've learned from outside of snowboarding? Man, from outside of snowboarding, just in my own life. Yeah. That's so tough. All these little things that we think matter as far as our careers go. And we think we got to make all this money. We think we got to have the nice car. We think that we got to have the nice house and the beautiful wife and stuff. And that stuff is awesome. We all want that. But at the end of the day, like all these things that we want, really, it's our higher self, whatever you want to call it, telling us you need this in order to become this. Like I know for me, like when I was younger, I was like, maybe 12 or 13 thinking I need to be a pro snowboarder, but why? And then when I'd ask myself that question, it would be so that I could be someone that I like when I go to bed. And then I realized that, okay, everything in life is so that we can become someone we like and have qualities and values and character that we actually like. So for me, it's, I've started to realize that all the stuff that we think matters and all these, like, you know, like becoming someone of character, someone that's actually giving something to the world. I'd say that's the biggest thing that I've learned. It's about being a human being rather than a human doing. Like if you're just taking from the world and you're not being someone that's able to like draw or like just magnify greatness into the world and give people hope and give people love in life, like you're not doing anything. You can't bring your money to the grave, but you can bring who you were being to the grave. That's so true. I actually have some friends who their kids are like on the freestyle teams at, in some of the hills out here in upstate New York. What are the three things that you would tell a nine-year-old that would love to one day be where you're at? Don't be afraid to be different and do different things. High school is not where your life is going to end. A lot of kids out there, they or like 16 years old, like, I just got to live life. And I'm like, dude, you're not 80 years old. Like you got a lot of life ahead of you make good choices now. Like so many people miss that. They like 
they're like, oh, like I'm a junior in high school or I'm in college. I need to go as hard as I can. But what if you take a step back and maybe set yourself up for 10 to 20 years of living a beautiful life and start a family and doing all these different things, if that's what you want to do and like living this baller life because you made different choices when you were younger, you can go hard and party in high school and be like everybody else, but you're probably just going to end up just like everybody else when you're 25. So set yourself up for a dope life. And don't be afraid to do that. At least everyone make their own choices. Doesn't matter to me, but I think that's uh, that was kind of my mindset. As I'm like, I want to set myself up so that I can be independent and be living my own life when I'm 21, so that I can be living a dream that I enjoy every day. And then the last piece of advice, I'd say, just enjoy every step along the way. And there's no mistakes in life. That's something that I live by. Is no matter what happens, you have the choice. And man, I look back to the most transformative times in my life. It was always after something bad happened. Mm. So there's no mistakes. Look at your life as a blessing every day, no matter how bad it is. And then you're really like, anything could happen to you and you're going to be all good and you're going to become a better person every day. Oh man, that's such a great, that's such a great thing that I think everybody needs to understand. What are three to five daily habits that are non-negotiable in your life? Move your body every day, move your body and go outside. This is another discussion, but humans come from the earth and having this connection to the planet Mm. is so important in my opinion. And anytime I go outside and especially out here in Oregon, it's been so warm and there's so much, so much beauty here. It's so green. The water's amazing. Like all the rivers, all the river spots we've been going to, it's made me just realize like humans are meant to move their bodies and explore this planet. So get outside and move every day. It's what you're built to do. Breathe every day and learn how to breathe properly because your breath is the first thing you do when you enter this world. But really take five to 10 minutes every day to get some really fluid, deep breaths every day. It's so important because then you really, that opens up a whole nother door of possibilities. It's like when it comes to the human potential, if you learn how to breathe properly, it sounds crazy because everyone's, Oh, I'm breathing all the time, but I'm like, yeah, but do you know how to breathe properly? How do um, you breathe properly? You know, trying to learn how to breathe through your nose, inhale through your nose and breathe deeply rather than in your diaphragm and in your throat. And we have so much tension in our throats and in our chests and up here in our faces because we're so in our heads all the time. We're never like anytime you tense up, it's like a sketchy situation is happening. If you notice you're usually you're going to start choking up here mm. and, and you're going to be breathing from your heart rather than deep into your diaphragm and deep into your stomach. And some people say just breathe into your balls and then you fully relax. Your body changes kind of the way that like your voice changes too. That, is that something where you're like in competition and, and you're, you catch yourself breathing through your mouth or whatever, cause you're like gasping for air and then you have to correct yourself. Is there like a self-correction you use in competition for your breath? Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. All the time. And this happens every day, whether it's at, it's in competition or you're talking to someone of like influence or something or of authority and you get scared, like you feel everything up here tense up and your breathing starts to get all quick and you lose total control over your breath. I literally just walk away and I just super deep. I do like box breathing. That's a good one to do. So box breathing. Yeah. Four seconds, inhale, breathing deep into your stomach, deep as you can go hold for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, 
Um, I've heard of that. Like, I don't know. Is that Wim Hof or is that something from? Uh... I think Wim Hof has like a form of box breathing. I learned that okay. just from uh, Ben Greenfield and his like cold shower routine. I learned yeah. how to box breathe from that. But Wim Hof is a great example of someone that you can learn from if you want to learn how to really breathe properly. He's like the breath guy. So yeah, and the um, ice guy, like, right? The ice ice guy. Yeah, exactly. Like he uses his breath to handle the the cold. Yeah. So number two is breathing. And then three gratitude is a big one. Like before I go to bed, I always am going through in my mind. I I give three things out there, my gratitude and it's random stuff too. So many people, they they think of superficial things. They're like, I'm thankful for my mom. I'm thankful for my dad. Think of three random things. Give your gratitude every day. Like it doesn't matter what it is. Just get in the habit of like, giving gratitude back to this world is like game changing. Is there a secret performance hack that no other snowboard uses that you use that you're most proud of? Mm. There's definitely people that meditate everyone, not everyone, but there's definitely a handful of people doing similar stuff to what I'm doing and stuff. And there's people doing more, but uh, one thing that I did growing up that helped me a lot. And I still do today, but not as much. And I need to get back on it is uh wing Chun Kung Fu. My, tr- my trainer, Jason Cannon, who learned from Paul check. Those guys are amazing. All the Czech stuff has changed my life. That's a whole nother discussion, but he's been studying Kung Fu forever. And he was a pro snowboarder and he will tell anybody I wouldn't have become a pro snowboarder if I didn't train Kung Fu. Just what is learning. it about? What is it about it? Well, Kung Fu means refinement of skill. You're always refining your skill. And with Kung Fu, it's so precise. And it takes so much to really master a skill. And it's you're really blending like fluidity with being aggressive. And that's so important when it comes to snowboarding, especially for someone like me, because I'm pretty aggressive when I ride. I got to really learn how to be fluid. So Tai Chi and Qigong helps me a lot with just chilling out and being more fluid and like graceful with my movements. While also, you know, like learning how to make a punch kind of beautiful, so to speak. That's like what you can get out of stuff like Tai Chi. But, and also just like the focus that you got to have and like the center line focus is center line is like a big thing in all martial arts is you're learning how to punch on your center line and really find your center. That was really important for me when I was young, when I was like learning these bigger tricks and stuff is like, finding your center line and being very articulate with your detail, like really focusing on those small details did a lot for me. Everything I feel like in, in sports, the core and the balance is so important and it's oftentimes neglected. Anytime I feel like I've been trying to do a lot of uh, different things lately and I feel like the, the things that translate the best to performance are always core oriented, single leg workouts, big complex Olympic lifts, water skiing, snow skiing, like anything that's like super core oriented helps just with everything. Totally. Yeah. That's just the mental benefit of like Kung Fu and stuff. Yeah. The core utilization that you use doing Kung Fu and martial arts and just like the physical benefits you get from all that. It's unreal. It sounds like you've had a lot of different like mentors and role models, but I know I've heard you say that you really look up to your dad. What's something you really admire about him that you don't feel like you'll ever live up to or achieve? 
Yeah, for sure. My dad, when I was younger, especially was like kind of my hero. And I really admire that he's able to just snowboard and like mountain bike and run the way he does without ego. Like he, he pushes himself and he goes hard, but he's not trying to be a pro snowboarder or anything. And for me, it's hard for me because I'm competitive and I like how he's not that competitive and how he can just like snowboard and kind of snowboard the same mountains I'm not the same mountains. He's always doing new stuff, but he's lived in Telluride for 25 years and he's been kind of snowboarding these mountains for, yeah, for 25 years. And he still loves it just as much as he did when I was like two years old. I know for me, I want to get to that point where I'm able to like chill out and not have to travel the world and like constantly learn a new trick to feel like I'm a content. So I'd say that's cool. I don't really think that my dad is necessarily doing anything that I can't live up to, but I always thought that was cool. Because we live very different lifestyles. My dad and I are very different and not in the best way possible. And it's great. It's good because I need someone different in my life to give me that other influence. And I can learn a lot from him. We can, we learn a lot from each other and how our different lifestyles can blend together. So I've always loved that about it. This is something that I've always been curious about when it comes to individual sports where you're on a team but you still compete individually. Like how do you balance the dichotomy of cheering for your teammates and wanting to succeed at the individual level? Man, that's what's cool about snowboarding is like the roots are so revolved around community. Like my friends and I, we all stay together. We film each other, learn new tricks. We encourage each other all the time. There's never a time where we're like looking at each other. I hope he doesn't land his run. We always are up at the top, like hyping each other up. And we're excited if someone, one of our friends wins and stuff. For me, like, I just, I have a lot of respect for my competitors. And I know that they've been like, right now I'm staying with two veterans on the US team, Taylor Gold and Chase Josie. And I grew up watching those guys compete. So I got tons of respect for them. And I know if they land a run and they beat me, it's no surprise there because these guys have been crushing it for years. It pushes me to just be better myself because, yeah, I want to beat them, but I'm not going to do anything negative to them to like make their performance not come together. I want them to land the best runs of their lives. I want to do what I can to land, land the best run in my life in contests too. So, yeah, we're always stoked for each other. And if someone, my friend, beats me, I'm excited for them. I'm just as stoked for them. Like this season, one of the contests, I got fourth and my good friend, Josh Bowman got second and Josh hadn't been on the podium in a long time. He's had a couple of rough seasons. And I remember someone asking me like, how'd that feel like for Josh to beat you? And I'm like, I'm stoked for him. Like I, out of any person that I want to beat me, it's him because I know how hard he's been working. I know how dedicated he is to snowboarding and, I'm going to celebrate with him tonight because he, he deserves it. So that's the attitude we have. So it sounds like an awesome community, man. It really does. And it's also, it's makes it that much more fun when you could be on the come up with other people. Totally. I just, you want to make it with your friends. I think that's the coolest thing is when you achieve your dreams and bring your friends with you or your friends are just there with you the whole time. We all want to, you know, do great things and it's cool to just be on this journey with them. Yeah. So dreams, 2022 Olympics. It's mm-hmm. coming. What do you have to do? And this could be taken a couple ways, right? What, first of all, what do you have to do to qualify? Like technically, do you have to win anything else? But also, what do you have to do personally to perform at the level 
to qualify and ride for the U.S. in the Olympics in a year? To qualify in the past, there's like a pretty clear like pathway of qualification where it's like they have four to five events dedicated towards like the U.S. qualification. It was usually the U.S. Grand Prix. They'd have five of them. They would take your top two best results and then the top four. And with those top two best results, they would go. I think that's how it's going to work this year, but it's always changing because COVID kind of messed some stuff mm-hmm. up. So they, I think they're still trying to finalize the qualification, but it'll probably be something like that. In a nutshell, the best way you could put it is you want to be one of the top four U.S. riders by January, end of January, and you're in a good position. We had our first qualifier in Aspen this year, and that went good for me. That was one of my better results this season. There's four more qualifiers that are going to matter. A lot can change. In order to be one of those riders that can qualify you again, like what I was saying earlier, being different, you got to be doing something different than everybody. We're all on the same team together and have the same coaches and have the same, not the same methods of doing things, but we're all seeing each other's routines and stuff. And you got to really, if you want to beat your friends, which like, it sounds harsh to say, but if you want to the end of the day we got we're fighting for a spot on that team you got to be doing something different than them and that's really the bottom line if you have that secret weapon of something that keeps your mind 100 that's going to help you a ton because you're going to get more done on the snow every day if you have some sort of thing that helps you physically to keep you 100% because like injuries are a big thing too if you can keep your body 100% during an olympic season you're stoked yeah. and uh, so yeah just doing something different and having a different, some, some sort of secret weapon in your routine is very helpful. I think. Nice. Current event question for you before we get into the final questions here. The U S sprinter Shakari Richardson was banned from the Olympics for testing positive for weed in her system. What are your thoughts on, on Shakari Richardson being banned from the Olympics? I'd say it's unfortunate because I don't think weed should get you booted from the Olympics. I don't think that's like, serious enough at all but at the same time we all know as athletes we know we're not supposed to be smoking weed during the contest season we know that we might get drug tested everyone is held to the same standard and i know people that have gotten that have tested positive for smoking weed and been like pretty much banned from competing in all fist sanctioned events for a year and fist is like the quality the series or the federation that does all the qualifying for the olympics so there's people out there that have had the same thing happen to them and there's no surprise she tested positive for smoking weed right before a contest that's on her but i still think there's got to be some sort of changes when it comes to what drugs or banned substances i don't think smoking weed should be something that you know and i think i saw that she was only suspended for 30 days so she missed the last qualifier for olympics so that's why she couldn't go and that's how it works usually like you get suspended from the team or you get suspended from certain events so it's unfortunate there's people out there that are like oh it's a race thing and i don't want to get political but like it's not we're all held to the same standard if i tested positive for smoking weed tomorrow i'd probably get in trouble too Um, yeah there's have you seen the movie icarus or the documentary icarus Mm-mm. about the uh, cycling. It's a crazy documentary. It's like this cycler who he wanted to do a race. I, I don't remember his name, but he was like a kind of an amateur cyclist and he wanted to do one race clean and then get in touch with someone and do a race 
dirty on drugs to see how much better he performed. And he was going to do a documentary on it. And he ended up like getting a hold of this guy from, from Russia who was in charge of the anti-doping over in Russia, who he was filming this documentary. Everything was going down with the Sochi Olympics and everything blew up with Russia's doping because it was like state funded doping and they were messing with all the samples and everything at the Olympics. And all this was happening as he was filming this documentary and they ended up having to like bring the dude into the U S is trying to keep him safe. And it was Mm -hmm. a really crazy thing. It's a cool documentary. You should check it out, but it's all about like Olympics and doping and might be something interesting. I think it's on, I don't know if it's on Netflix or Amazon, but it was was a really interesting look at behind the scenes of, of kind of the drug use in the Olympics. It was eye opening or shocking. Totally. So that's like a good example. And, uh, uh, they take it seriously for everybody. And I think if it was, it's the IOC that makes those rules. It's not the U S Olympic team. That's what a lot of people don't understand is they think it's like the U S just like trying to do lame stuff. And it's the IOC because a lot of these countries that Olympians are coming from weed is totally not legal. Mm-hmm. So that's why weed is a banned substance and it's only banned in, in season. You can smoke weed if you want outside of season, but just not um, during competition, just not right before. Yeah. Exactly. That's crazy. All right. A couple final questions for you, man. This has been so much fun. What's the most impactful book you've ever read? Ooh, man. I'd say The Code of the Extraordinary Mind was great. And that's by Vishen Lakiani, I think is how you say his name. He He's the owner of Mind Valley. And that was great. I was like 16 when I read that. And it just taught me how to like look at life without all these, he calls them rules b-r-u-l-e-s and it's another word for bullshit rules that people live by it shifted how i thought or how i looked at life and how i looked at all these like beliefs that we have that was a great book and i've read that several times over and over i'll have to check that out i haven't read that yeah it's great honestly like i don't read enough i need to read more i've been pretty good about audiobooks lately but but yeah that was a great book that was i think every person should read that book and the Daily Stoic is good too. Was that uh, Ryan Holiday? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think I had that one. If you could have a drink with anyone, past or present, who would it be? What would you drink, and why? Oh man, that is so tough. I'd probably have a drink with Bruce Lee. And I'd really admire Bruce Lee and just his philosophy and his... That's another reason why I love martial arts is you got people like Bruce Lee. And if you really, like, you got to dive deep into Bruce Lee to really understand why he's so amazing. But I'd probably just have a glass of, like, organic wine. I'm not a huge drinker and I have no problem with alcohol, but, like, organic wine. I was expecting Monster. Yeah. I don't know. I mo- I, although I couldn't imagine Bruce Lee with a monster. Yeah. That'd be pretty intense. The monsters <laughs> for a beginning or for the beginning of the day. But uh, for the wind down and the philosophy with Bruce Lee. Yeah, exactly. All right. Last question. How do you make every breath count in your life? To make every breath count, you just you stay present. And you do the work that's in front of you. That's like, after I'm done with this interview, I got to go and put some good food into my body. And I'm going to make sure that 
the food that I'm putting in my body has some sort of like meaning to me and is going to fuel me properly. That's the best way to make your breath count. And having intention in every single breath you take and every action you take in life is everything. If you don't have any intention or any direction, you're going to be wasting a lot of breath on nothing. And life's just going to throw random crap at you if you don't have any direction or any guidance. And uh, I'd say that's how you can make every breath count. I love it. I love it. Lucas Foster, thank you so much. Man, how can people find you, get a hold of you, support you? This has been such a fun conversation. How could people get a hold of you, man? Uh, yeah, Instagram, Lucas Foster underscore. Uh, I use Instagram a lot. You can hit me up anytime on Instagram too. DM. I check my requests and love talking to people on social media, pretty much about anything. And if people want to support what we do i'd say you can if you want to support olympians and stuff you can donate to the u.s ski and snowboard team and donate to the snowboard half pipe team because we could use some more funding to keep us moving in the right direction and then go buy a snowboard too that's another great way to support us get on a snowboard because then you not only help us but you can become like a part of the community anything you can do to help snowboarding and help athletes it, it goes a long way and, awesome. uh, all those links will be in the show notes and people will be able to check out your instagram dude your instagram is the greatest instagram handle in all of instagram the stuff that you guys post with your gopros and just the tricks you're doing it's just high quality video Dude, it is so cool to look at. It is my favorite Instagram to follow. So go check him out, Lucas Foster. Lucas, dude, you are destined for greatness this year. I know this is the year of Lucas Foster, and I cannot wait to catch up with you and just watch your career take off as it already has, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, all my best, man. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. That was awesome. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I can't articulate how grateful I am for you. If this episode was inspiring, motivating, or educational, it would mean the world to me if you hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen and left a positive five-star review. And if you want to learn about new episodes as they come out, check out my Instagram at everybreathcountspodcast and sign up for my newsletter at everybreathcountspodcast.com. Have a great day and make every breath count. Let's talk about Buzzsprout. Have you thought about starting a podcast? Did you know that 41% of the US population listens to podcasts monthly? And podcast listeners are 68% more likely to be postgraduates. How about this? 12% of all podcast listeners make between seventy-five dollars and $100,000 annually. Whether podcasting is the secret ingredient your business marketing has been missing, or you have a message that you just need to share with the world, the best place to host your podcast is Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout has a ton of how-to guides and support videos to help you get started. And they make it easy to get listed on every major listening platform like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and so much more. So join me 
and over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to share your message with the world. Buzzsprout is offering a $20 Amazon gift card for listeners of this show. Simply follow the link in the show notes and start your podcast journey. I cannot wait to hear what you have to share with the world.